If you have your copy of Scripture, we're in the book of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, looking at verses 15 through 16, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. This morning, I'd invite you to turn there, be reading from the English Standard Version this morning of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16 this morning. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray this morning it goes forth and penetrates our hearts and lives as we look at a sacrifice of praise. May we be a people that know your word and practice your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue uh, our journey through the book of Hebrews and continue to look at chapter 13, This morning, I want us to keep in mind that this chapter is written for practicality. It is a series of exhortations that are written, uh, and, and it's saying this is how you live out the Christian life. So we've seen that we are to love the saints, and we've seen that we are to honor our marriage. We are We've seen that we are not to fall in love with money, but be content with what God has provided. We've seen that we are to remember and imitate leaders that have gone before us who taught us the word of God. And we are to follow Christ, not false teaching, no matter the cost. And this brings us to verse, verses 15 and 16, which again is very practical for us. You've heard me refer before, if you've been coming here for any length of time, to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, in particular the first question, which asks, what is the chief end of man? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In fact, I have a a t-shirt that says that on it. And to be honest, I find it to be a very profound statement. John Piper says man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The point is that the only way you can possibly truly glorify God is by enjoying him forever. Which would indicate that if you have a life without joy, if the sum of your Christian life is kind of you gritting your teeth and enduring it until the end if you walk around with a scowl always on your face if there is no joy in your life then let's be honest you are not really advertising just how good God is in his book Desiring God John Piper is writing about how C.S. Lewis helped him to see this truth about glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Piper writes that as Lewis was beginning to believe in God, that he had this stumbling block. Because in the Psalms, he had discovered that he should praise God. And um, he did not see the point of that because it, it seemed to picture God as somehow craving worship. In his words, like a vain woman who wants compliments. However, he goes on to reveal why he was wrong. He said the most obvious fact about praise had escaped him. He thought of praise in terms of compliments or in terms of approval or giving honor. He had never noticed that all enjoyment overflowed into praise. The world around us rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. Readers praise their favorite authors. Walkers uh, praise the countryside as they're looking at it. Players praise their favorite game. 
he goes on to say this, that his difficulty with the praise of God stemmed stemmed from my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do, what we can't help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced uh, uh, this in my life where praise completes the enjoyment. Let me give you an example. Someone does something for you randomly Okay, maybe it's someone pays your bill, someone buys you a meal at a restaurant, they're a complete stranger, someone maybe buys you some groceries or whatever it might be. And what do you do? Right, you share that. Typically, you're going to share that with someone. So if you're married, you can't wait to tell your spouse because praise, you want to praise what happened because it completes the enjoyment you I you can't you're not going to believe what happened to me today right it completes the enjoyment or if you've ever climbed a mountain or come to a place of beautiful scenery and even if there's no one else that is around except for a stranger what do you say you'll say something like this is breathtaking or this is so beautiful or whatever it might be because praise of what you're seeing completes the enjoyment now, I like, to, I like to watch sports sometimes. And when I'm watching sports, something that I do, you, you guys probably don't ever do this, but something that I do when I'm watching sports, if I see something that is just unbelievable, like I cannot believe that this just happened or what I just saw, what I do is I say to my wife, hey, you're not going to believe this. And because we have one of those fancy things, I can like rewind it or pause it and stuff. I'll say, you got to see this and I'll rewind it. Or when they're going to play it in slow-mo, I'll be like, Tygain, you got to watch this, you know, and it, cause it's so unbelievable because praise of that completes the enjoyment. And this message is about a lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise and here's what i want you to know if you want to fulfill the chief purpose for you which you were created for you must have a life that glorifies god by enjoying god forever so that the joy that's in your life spills over into continual praise of God because it completes your enjoyment of God. You see, praise of God completes our enjoyment of God. However, as we know, the Bible and Jesus linked the first great commandment, which is to love God with your total being, to the second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So just, just to praise God alone falls short really of pleasing him. So the call is to offer our lives as this continual sacrifice of praise which pleases God. But also not to neglect to do good and to share. So we glorify God by a life that continually praises God and by doing good. And so our lifestyle as followers of Christ both individually and collectively or corporately is to live our life as a sacrifice of praise to God and to do good, which pleases him. So first, I want us to see this morning that lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise through Christ. That's what verse 15 tells us, right? It starts off with those words, through him then. So the author's making it clear that we can only live this life as a sacrifice of praise to God if we do it through Christ. 
The only way that we can approach God is through Christ. So the only way that we can have a life that praises God is through Christ. Now, we know that people have, have approached God through sacrifices ever since the beginning of human history. We read about Cain bringing a sacrifice from the fruit of the ground, whereas his brother Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. God did not just reject Cain's sacrifice without reason while accepting Abel's sacrifice. God had made it clear that acceptable sacrifice was, in order to be able to approach him, was a sacrifice that involved the shedding of blood of an innocent substitute. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system instated under Moses was pointing ahead to God's supreme and final sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died as a substitute for all that believe in him. Now, the author of Hebrews has consistently made it abundantly clear that Jesus fulfilled in his death that Old Testament sacrificial system, which could only point to him. And he's made it clear that the Old Testament sacrifice could not forgive sins. And that the only real sacrifice is the sacrifice that's offered by Jesus. So therefore, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore because they never forgave sin in the first place. They only pointed to the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That he has forgiven sin. Jesus has forgiven sin once and for all. For everyone who trusts in Jesus. Therefore, there's no more sacrifice to give. So repeatedly, the author makes it clear that Christ's one offering of himself completed, fulfilled, and ended the Jewish sacrificial system. And to offer a sacrifice now is to deny the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. The point being driven home is the only Sacrifice that we can now offer our spiritual sacrifices of praise and good deeds. And these sacrifices can only be offered through Christ. Therefore, if you have not come to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as a substitute for your sin, then you have nothing to offer. And you're under his condemnation for your sin. You have to discard your good deeds and all of your personal merit and you must run to the cross of Christ. However, once you come to faith in Christ as the substitute for your sins, you continue to come to Christ for everything in the Christian life. This is what Paul states in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is how John Piper puts it in his book, Future Grace. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is yes. God, do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. All the promises of God. All the blessings of God in the heavenly places are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God's decisive yes to everyone who believes. So this phrase through him is vital because we live as a sacrifice of praise to God only through Christ, who is our real sacrifice. The author is making it clear. He's not saying do some things in your life to add to what Jesus has done. It's not what he's saying. So that, so that you will be forgiven of sin. What he is saying is that we live as a sacrifice of praise through Christ. And why? Why do we do this? Why as Christians should we live as a sacrifice of praise through Christ? Because of what Christ has done. 
Because Jesus died in your place. He has imputed his righteousness to you. You have received his righteousness by faith so that you are declared right with God. Not because you deserve it. None of us deserve it. But because Jesus has paid your penalty. Because Jesus lived a fully righteous life on your behalf. And that righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, has been credited to your account. Therefore, our life reflects praise Back to God. We live a life of sacrifice of praise. God, I praise you for what Christ has done for me. Because this great thing that has happened in my life. Because you called me out. Because Jesus died for me. And because the righteousness of Christ is now on me. I reflect back to you praise. So what he is saying is because of what Jesus has done. I want to... I want you to have a, give a different kind of sacrifice. Not like the Old Testament sacrifice. Because Christ has already done that. And it never needs to be done again. I want you to live out the sacrifice of praise. And the only way that you live out that sacrifice of praise is through faith in Christ. He is the only way that you can possibly come to God. And, to, and, 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 and you can't come in any other way. Any other way is an affront to God. Through Christ alone, we live as a sacrifice of praise. So through Christ, let's move on to point number two lifestyle so we do it through christ lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise continually this lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise is just that it's a lifestyle it's not something that we that we do when we feel like it it's not something that we do on sunday morning It is to consume our entire life. Notice he does not say, okay, I need you to listen. I want you to get up on Sunday morning, go to church, sing a song, or maybe three or four or whatever, give thanks to God, and then go home and forget all about it. That's not what he says. If we were to read through the Psalms, we would find command after command. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's not a suggestion. Nor is it something that we try out when we have nothing better to do. It is a command that is to dominate everything that we do. That is why the author says, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. Praise to God should encompass all of our life. We are to be so captivated and so filled with awe and the goodness and the grace and the majesty of God that, that we're like a cup that is filled to the brim and it constantly is overflowing praise to God. That is supposed to be our life. You know what happens though, right? We allow the cares of, of this world and the things that we are doing in this life, our jobs and even our ministry or whatever it might be, to captivate us and to cause us to get down and we allow those things to overshadow God in our life and then our life stops being a reflection of praise to God. Man, this is serious stuff, church. This passage tore me 
up this week. As I reflect on it and, and I'm like, my life is supposed to be so filled with God that all I am doing is praising Him. That my whole life is a reflection of praise. But you know what happens, right? If you're a parent, when your kids does something or says something and you get mad and boom, you blow up. And then you go, oh, that wasn't a reflection of praise. Friend at work, coworker does something, spouse does something, whatever it might be. You see the cares of this life invade your life. And suddenly your life is no longer a reflection. They overshadow God in our life. And it's not supposed to be so. You see, true praise of God comes from our heart. And the command then to continually offer praise implies that your heart is right before God. So this is how it looks. If in our heart we are constantly grumbling and constantly complaining about the way God is treating us. Notice I said in our heart. So if in my heart my thoughts are, are complaining and I'm whining in my thought life about my situation in life, or about whatever, and then we come into church, right? So it's Sunday morning, all week, my thought life has been, oh, my life stinks, and blah, 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 and how horrible everything is. And then I come into church, and I put on my happy face, and I sing a nice little Jesus song, then I'm a hypocrite. then I'm a hypocrite. If my life throughout the week is everything but a reflection of praise and I come in and pretend like, oh, it's Sunday morning, time to be a reflection of praise, then I'm a hypocrite. You cannot refuse to praise God all week long and then come into church on Sunday morning and pretend to praise Him. We have to deal with our heart. Because that's where the problem's at. How do we deal with our heart? Well, we confess our sinful grumbling to God. We seek to find satisfaction in, in Him and joy that comes through Christ alone. For me, it looks like this. I'm out running my run. Most of you know I run every morning. And I'm sitting there confessing my complaining to God. God, forgive me for being an idiot. God, you know... Forgive that stuff I said. Forgive what I'm doing. Forgive my complaining about my situation. Otherwise, our praises are just a hollow shell that is not heartfelt. We don't struggle because someone else did something to us. And we don't struggle because of our church or because I don't like the music or because I don't like this or that. That's not your struggle. Our struggle... Is because of our heart. Because our heart isn't right. Then our praise isn't right. And neither will our good deeds be acceptable to God. So we come in and we like to pretend like our struggle is everything else. But our struggle is our heart. And then we try to praise God with a sour heart. God says, I don't want that. That's just fake. That's just a farce. Genuine praise and good deeds will flow from a heart that is satisfied in God and His grace given in Christ. Now, I was reading a book this week. It's called Dangerous Calling. And it said this, Every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of Him. This means the deepest, most life-shaping Practical daily motivation of every human being was designed to be the awe of God. This is the calling of every person. This is the umbrella of protection over every person. This is the reality that is to define and give shape to every other reality in a person's life. You can do all kinds of things in your flesh, including ministry. If what you're doing is not preceded by the awe of God and for his glory, you're doing it in the flesh. 
Again, I love what John Piper says. If your heart is not amazed by the grace of God and your mind is not gripped by the truth of God and your sense of right and wrong is not permeated by the justice of God and your faith is not resting in the power of God and your imagination is not guided by the beauty of God and your life is not steadied by the sovereignty of God and your hope is not filled with the glory of God, then the service of God will be what Paul calls works of the law and not fruit of the Spirit. Work for God that is not sustained by wonder at God or awe in God is a weariness of the flesh. Priority number one is the cultivation of hearts that will stand in awe of God. That's supposed to be our heart. That we stand in awe of God each and every morning. Listen to what each and every day. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said over this text right here. Dear brothers and sisters, be sure that you do not lose your joy. You just stop right there. I mean, that's good enough. If you ever lose the joy of religion, you will lose the power of religion. Do not be satisfied to be a miserable believer. Wow. Do not be satisfied to be a miserable believer. An unhappy believer is a poor creature. But he who is resigned to being so is in a dangerous condition. Depend upon it. Greater importance attaches to holy happiness than most people think. As you are happy in the Lord, you will be able to praise Him. Rejoice in the Lord that you may praise Him. You know what the problem is sometimes? We have a lot of miserable Christians. Just walking around. Being miserable. Miserable for Jesus. We could start a little club. Miserable for Jesus club. Because that's how most of us, that's, that's, what, we, that's what we act like. Right? I mean, did Jesus come and die for your sin? Did he rise again? Did he pay the price for you? Is his righteousness now your righteousness? Do you have the hope of heaven? Man, that is some stuff to be praising God about. My whole life should be a reflection of what God has already done for me. Constantly giving me grace. Constantly pouring out his, his stuff on me. Constantly being who he is. And we should be a reflection of that to God. That got two amens. We should be praising God every aspect of our life. Look what the author of Hebrews follows up with. He says this, that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now to confess God's name means that we silently proclaim and submit to God's attributes and grace towards us in Christ. Paul says in Romans 14, citing from Isaiah, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess God. That word confess is the exact same Greek word in Hebrews 13, 15, translated acknowledge. At the judgment, every tongue will openly proclaim God's holy justice and everyone will bow before God's sovereignty. Then they will have no choice. But now, by the grace of God, we can willingly offer a sacrifice of praise to God. But, but by continually bowing our heart over and over and over again before God and being in awe of who he is as revealed to us in his word, not how you conceive him to be. You see, the praise flows from a heart that's in submission to God in his word. When we see who God is, we see his grace and we see his mercy and his love and his justice and his holiness and we see the cross with a son of of, of God has died for us. And we see that the wrath of God has been paid, that wrath that was due you and I. And that should cause us to continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. When we see that God has saved us, not according to anything in us or what we've done, but according to his own purpose and his grace, our heart should have no choice but to cry out praise to God. We can't help but to praise Him. 
I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else here. But if you're struggling to praise God, it is a heart issue. So I challenge you this morning, cast off every single thought of grumbling and complaining. Get rid of your discontentment and become a people who are praising God. It is so sad that we seem to be good at praising everything except God. Right? I mean, isn't that a sad state? Go to, a, go to a sporting event where somebody's kids or grandkids are playing. And you watch us how much they praise. Right? They're sitting there. And I'll use this stool. Money and borrow your stool for a second. They're sitting there. And there goes their kid breaking loose on a 50-yard run. Yeah! Go! 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 Right? Screaming, yelling. They may look absolutely ridiculous, but do they care? No. We come to church. Preacher going to talk about praising God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him above ye heavenly. That's what we look like sometimes. Why? Why are we so good at praising everything except for praising God? I don't care if you look ridiculous. You think God is up in heaven? Boy, that person looks absolutely ridiculous. Listen to what Peter says. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ he continues on but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light church the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and you don't just do that on Sunday morning you should be doing that on Sunday morning but not just on Sunday you are to glorify God at all times what a reminder that we express our love for God through genuine praise of God number three lifestyles a sacrifice of praise doing good. Verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good. And that's, that's general for all kinds of practical ministry to others. When it says sharing, that is sharing the essentials of life with those who lack them and are unable to work to obtain them. So first we have this idea that we are to praise God continually. And then we have that we are to do good and share with others. Does that sound familiar? Perhaps when, when Jesus said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart or all yourself, let's just say. And the second is the greatest, to love your neighbor as yourself. Religion that's only Godward does not extend into practical ways. It's a phony religion. Doing good requires three things. I sometimes hear say, well, how, people say, well, how do I do good or how do I help others or whatever? Doing good requires three things. First, it requires a readiness of mind to do good in the first place. Which means that you do not wait to be asked, but you are seeking to do good. You're on high alert. You anticipate the needs of others. You don't, you don't ask them. You just anticipate it. Second, it means having a benevolent mindset and acting on it in all ways that will be useful and helpful, whether spiritually or temporarily, to others. So in other words, sitting around, coming up with ways to do good is not enough. You're sitting around, hey, I'm going to make my list of ways I can do good. That's not enough. You have to do it. Third, by taking advantage of all occasions and opportunities to show loving kindness to others. This is what James tells us, right? 
pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father is this. And what does he say? To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then he follows that up with if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. He says, what good is that? The Apostle John says the same kind of thing when he says in 1 John chapter 3, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods, we like to quote that part and then stop. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, so you have goods, you see your brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So you got stuff. Your brother has a need. And you can meet that need. But you say, oh, I can't. I'm not going to do anything. He says, how does God's love abide in you? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And just in case we are confused, Jesus taught the very same thing when he said, when we feed the hungry and give drink to those. And when we invite a stranger into our home and we clothe the naked and we visit the sick or those in prison, we are really doing it to him. When the author says, do not neglect, there's an implication that some of them were neglecting this duty. We neglect doing good and sharing when we're called to live generously, our responsibility, yes, is primarily to fellow believers, but it doesn't stop there. This is why Paul wrote, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me be honest, I know it is hard to know how much do I give, or to whom do I give. But that shouldn't stop you from giving. We are surrounded by people who have legitimate needs. Sometimes it's got to open our eyes. One final thing. We're not called to be indiscriminate in our doing good and sharing. See, some people like to take these passages and say, Oh, well, see, you just, you just give to whoever, whenever, however you want. If I'm poor, you're not allowed to be rich, so you've got to give me all your money so I'm rich and you're poor. That's not what these verses are teaching. There has to be discretion because there are those who would take advantage of the charity of others and impose on the compassionate and the generous-hearted. It is wrong to encourage those who seek to live their lives solely on the subsistence of other people instead of earning their way. It's wrong. Oftentimes, when we give indiscriminately, it's going to do more harm than good. So that means we should go through the trouble of investigating each case based on merit instead of allowing sentiment to override judgment. That is why Paul said, if anyone does not work, they shouldn't eat. And it is sinful for us to negate what Paul said by giving money to able-bodied loafers who will do absolutely nothing. However, do not allow others to cause you not to be generous. And so, in other words, what I'm saying to you is use some discrimination. If they're asking you for money, they should have no problem telling you exactly what it's for and why they need it. Otherwise, they don't need it. One final point from this passage. Lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise pleases God. Now the latter part of verse 16 says, Such sacrifices, such sacrifices. That word implies a contrast, mainly that God no longer requires the Old Testament sacrifice. He is speaking of a 
different sacrifice. Secondly, it stresses the fact that even though we deem our feeble praises and our good deeds to be worthy of notice and mention, God regards them as acts of worship that meet his praise. They're pleasing to God. Isn't it wonderful that God tells us what pleases him? You don't have to wonder what pleases God. He said so. This is pleasing to God. Have you ever met someone you can't please? Don't be looking at your spouse. Have you ever met someone you can't please? They kind of wait for you to fail. Not God. God says this is what pleases me. When your heart praises me because of the mercies I've shown you in Jesus Christ. And when you do good to others. And you're generous to them. This is what pleases me. It is wild to stop and think about the fact that when we do good deeds apart from Christ. They're vain attempts to commend ourselves to God. But when we do them through Christ. God is pleased. So when we do them apart from Christ, it's just vain attempts to, to try to please him. But when we do them through him, he's pleased. The aim of our life should be to please God out of love for him. And when we do these things, God is pleased. The Apostle Paul captures this well in Philippians chapter 4. The saints at Philippi, Philippi had sent a gift to Paul. And Paul gratefully acknowledges the gift. And then he makes this comment. So, so he, he gratefully acknowledges that they've sent him this gift. And then he makes this comment. He says this. They are a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You gave to me, and it's pleasing to God. You were generous towards me, and it's pleasing to God, Paul says. Listen to what he says in Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he says, this is pleasing to God, that we bear fruit in every good work. I can't think of any aspiration in which we should seek that is greater than pleasing God. Uh, it's, it's great to please other people. It feels good when you please someone else. It's great to even please our own conscience, to have things settled. But pleasing to God Wow. That's why Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says to us, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. I want you to stop and think about this for just a moment. The Son of God appears in glory in the glory of the Father. And in the presence of all those assembled in the universe. And he proclaims to those who out of love for God. Lived a lifestyle of sacrifice of praise to him. That it was pleasing to God. He appears before everybody. And those people have lived a lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise. He says... These people are pleasing to God through a heart that praised Him continually and through doing good. And Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Praise be to God, Christian. May our life be a sacrifice of praise. May we live each and every day with the realization that one day we will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And may our desire be that we would hear from him, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, church, may God make us a people that continually offers to God a sacrifice of praise and good deeds that we will one day rejoice to hear these words from his lips. In conclusion, I want us to realize that we are created for a purpose. And that purpose is that we would live to glorify him and enjoy him forever. How is it that we can do this? By living in a way that pleases God. How can we live in a way that pleases God? By placing our faith in Jesus and his blood as the only way to be reconciled to a holy God. And having trusted in Christ as our Savior, you please God by living a lifestyle, a sacrifice of praise, and doing good daily. Now some people would say, well how can I put this into practice? How can I do this? So let me help you put this into practice real quick here at the end. Number one, spend time every day in the book of Psalms. If you're wondering how can I put this into practice, spend time every single day in the book of Psalms. Read a psalm a day. That book is filled with praise offered to God. So every day, turn to the book of Psalms. If you want to know how to put this into practice, turn to the book of Psalms and read it and maybe even pray it back to God. Praising God. Number two, get a hymnal. And learn to sing some of the great hymns of the faith. If you don't know the tune, there's this great thing. It's called Google. I'm sure you could find the tune. Notice I said hymns of faith. Just because they are in our Baptist hymnal does not necessarily make them all that theologically sound. In fact, there are some that aren't. I would encourage you to go to a website called Hymns of Grace. I have it right there in your notes. And there you can purchase this pew Bible. See, it says Hymns of Grace. I already have one. It's good. Has a lot of good hymns in it. it this would cost you, this would set you back 20 bucks. If you want a leather bound one, it'd set you back 65 bucks. If you want to be real fancy schmancy. And it's a collection of 355 or so hymns. It's got some current ones. It's got some old ones. Some that we don't sing anymore. New ones. More than 90 responsive scriptures. So what I'm saying is get a hymnal. And sing some hymns. Download, if you don't have iTunes, put iTunes or some music thing on your deal. There's plenty of, of people that sing some great hymns and, and listen to them and sing along with them. Thirdly, look for and find opportunities to serve rather than expecting to be served. Look for and find opportunities to serve. Rather than expecting to be served. Listen to what Jesus said. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are many needs right here in our church. There are many areas for you to serve. You have no excuse. Well, I, I just, I, I don't know where to serve. I don't know what I can do. There are also areas to serve in our community, to do good and to share. Give regularly to our benevolent fund, which helps those in need. Find community areas where you can volunteer if you have the time. Look for and find opportunities to serve. Number four, make it your first priority of every single day to find delight and joy in God. Every morning when you wake up. Thank you, God. I opened my eyes this morning. Thank you for another day. Make it your first priority. Some days it's hard. Some days you just don't feel like it. But our chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Do you enjoy God? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I'd ask you this morning, do you have a lifestyle as a sacrifice of praise? And doing good? I guess what I'm asking is, is your life pleasing to God? Do you glorify God? Do you live in awe of God? Your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Is that reflected in your life? Oh, that we would be a sacrifice of praise. Have you even started down that path? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Perhaps the Lord has spoken to you this morning. Perhaps he's revealed areas in your life that you need to surrender to him. Maybe you need some prayer. I'll be standing down there. I'd love to pray with you. You can come pray on your own. You can pray in your pew. You don't have to come forward. Maybe you want to place your faith in Christ today. I'll be standing down there to say, Pastor, I need Jesus as my Savior. Whatever and however God has spoken to you, I encourage you to respond this morning. Let's close with prayer.